0: Good morning. morning. Happy New Year. I think this is a great way to begin the new year. Gather together with God's people in corporate worship. Kind of the best start possible. All right, our text this morning is Psalm 139. And I encourage you to open your Bibles to that because what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the text. uh, Rather than reading it prior, I'm going to read it during the message. So I'd ask you to open your Bibles and follow along. We're going to take a look at how it unfolds, how things are connected. So our text this morning is Psalm 139, and the title of this morning's sermon is Another Year of Knowing God. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for meeting us with us this morning. We thank You for this divine, divine appointment as we begin a new week and even as we begin a new year where You, the God who has redeemed us, has called us to assemble together where You might meet with us that we might render unto You the glory that is due Your name. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit might be at work in a special way this morning. Open our eyes to behold your glory. And as, Lord, as you have inhabited the praises and the prayers of your people, may you now inhabit the preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. At our home, uh, we have a wall calendar on our kitchens, one of the big calendars, and my wife writes um, family birthdays and family events and Uh, Various activities and appointments make their way to that calendar as the year unfolds. And sometimes, though, there are things that don't make it to the calendar because they're not planned. Uh, For example, uh, last month I had complications from a medical and I had to uh, spend a few days in the hospital, and I appreciate the email going out for prayer, and thank you for those who prayed for me, and I am much improved. I'm glad I'm able to be here uh, before you this morning. But now uh, the year has changed from 2022 to 2023, and we're ready to put up a new wall calendar with those uh, 365 blank spaces waiting uh, to be filled in. But this morning, God alerts us to something. He alerts us to a calendar that uh, we put up that is already filled in. Already filled in uh, by God. This calendar relates to, to you, to me, to each household here, to every household. It's already filled in. How can that be? Well, that's something that the psalmist takes us to and explains to us this morning as we turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 speaks of God's knowledge. Specifically, It speaks to God's knowledge as creator versus our knowledge as created beings. It also speaks to the difference that makes in our lives. So we're going to look at two things this morning as we turn to Psalm 139. We're going to see the vast difference between God's knowledge and our knowledge. And then secondly, we're going to see what difference that makes in our lives day by day. So first, let's look at the difference between God's knowledge and ours. Uh, The psalmist uh, spends the first half, thereabouts, of the psalm explaining to us, helping us to understand how vastly different is the way that God knows from the way that we know. And he highlights for us three differences. First, God's knowledge is not bound by time. God's knowledge is not bound by time. Uh, My wife has this annoying habit of finishing my sentences for me. And even more annoying is that she's usually right. However, God really does know what we're going to say before we say it. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 139. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And here what the psalmist is saying to us He's saying that this God knows us personally, He knows us completely, intimately. He knows the words that are on our tongues even before we do. More than that, he knows whether we are sincere or insincere. He knows what we really thought of that Christmas sweater that someone gave to us. And it says here in verse 3 that God is acquainted with all our ways. Now, usually when we think of acquaintance, what do we think about? Well, there's an acquaintance that we know a little bit, uh, but then there's a close friend that we know well. But that's not what the point the, point the psalmist is making. When he says that God is acquainted with all our ways, it means that there is nothing about us, nothing ever, with which God is unfamiliar. That God is aware of everything about us. The reason that my wife can finish my sentences with an alarming degree of accuracy is that we've been married for almost 48 years, And we've gotten to know one another. God does not, he did not accumulate knowledge over time. Rather, God simply knows us. Intimately and completely. And what this does is it highlights a core difference between the way that God knows and the way that we know as created beings. Here it is is that we discover. We discover. We grow in knowledge. You know, we, as we spend time with people, we spend time with our spouse, we spend time with friends, we get to know them. And so we know them better at one point than we did at a previous point. But God doesn't do that. God does not learn. God never discovers. He does not grow in knowledge. God simply knows fully, exhaustively. And as the psalmist talks to us about this, he's not bringing to bear some sort of theological treatise on divine epistemology. He's not talking to us about God knows all the details in this pre-filled LinkedIn profile, something like that. Rather, The psalmist is saying this to us to speak how God knows us so intimately, exhaustively, and personally. When we go through Psalm 139, we see this I and me and my that emphasize the personal us. And then the psalmist speaks of you in this communion with God. This vast difference between the Creator God who knows us so personally and thoroughly. And the psalmist tells us that we, each of us here, every human being, God, we are totally known by God. God's knowledge is behind us and before us, above us, below us, enveloping us. And we are fully embraced in the hand of God a hand that will not let us go. Now, in verse 5, he's talked, you notice about, you hem me in behind and before. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Now, usually when we think of being hemmed in, it's kind of a negative thing, isn't it? It's kind of like, you know, the enemy is approaching, my back is against the wall, and there's nowhere to turn, but I'm hemmed in. But that's not the way the psalmist takes it. The psalmist doesn't take it in any sort of negative way that he is hemmed in by the knowledge of God. How does the psalmist take it? Look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. And you see what the psalmist does. He makes two observations about this knowledge of God that envelops him. He says, it is too wonderful for me. In other words, it is not something that, uh, that I really understand. It is, he says, secondly, it is too high for me. I cannot attain for it, to it. So the psalmist is saying that your knowledge, O God, As I behold your knowledge, as I come to understand your knowledge, it is wonderful beyond my comprehension. It is not something that I as a created being can ever aspire to, that I I can ever have. In other words, the psalmist is in such awe of God. You know, Max mentioned uh, sports this morning and There is no shortage of sports on nowadays. That's kind of the height of the season for college football, pro football, all kinds of things going on. And we look at some of these things and we see these athletes making these catches or whatever it might be. And we're in awe, saying, boy, I could never do that. And the psalmist looks at God and he sees not an awe that reaches to another degree but in all that reaches to another glory. Such is the wonder of this God who knows in a manner that we as created beings do not. So the psalmist highlights, he begins by highlighting, this great chasm that exists between the Creator and the creature. Between God's knowledge and our knowledge. That's the first thing the psalmist points out to us, is that God's knowledge is not bound by time. Secondly, he points out that God's knowledge is not bound by space. It's not bound by space. Uh, My family and I exchanged uh, Christmas presents this year, as we do every year. And I got some very thoughtful gifts this year, not your average, you know, wah-wah gift card kind of thing. Now, I want to ask you, what do you think of the gifts that I got? As I I said, they're very thoughtful, and I really appreciated them. Um, What do you think of the gifts that I got? You can answer that question, can you? Why not? It's because you weren't there. It's because you weren't there when the gifts were given, and I opened them and did not have to feign being pleased. that's never the case with God it's never the case that God is not there look at verse 7 where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence if I ascend to heaven you're there if I make my bed in Sheol you are there you see what the psalmist does he's 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 changed approach. Before, he's talking about when. But now, he's talking about where. He's talking in terms of spatial, spatially, spatial boundaries. And he's saying, where can we go to escape from God? Where can we go to be off the grid from God? If we go to the other side of the world, God is there. If we go to the depths of the sea, God is there. If we go to the highest of heavens, God is there. If we go to the depths of Sheol, if we go to the grave, God is there. There is nowhere that God is not. God is everywhere present. But it's more than that. God is everywhere present fully. It's not like uh, God is partially present. Not like He's 5% 5% present here and here and here and here until you know, the finally all the 100% of God is accounted for. God is fully present all the time. Or it's not like we might go to a doctor and a doctor has various offices, maybe one in Westchester and one in Kenneth Square, uh, one somewhere around Philly, something like that, and he, we go there and the doctor's there because he has office hours at that time. It's not the way that it works with God. God... Fills all in all. God is fully present everywhere all the time. King Solomon, when he um, was tasked with building a temple for God, a temple that would indicate that God dwelt among his people, Solomon knew that that temple was not going to contain God. In fact, Solomon said this. He said, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And the psalmist continues with talking about this, talking about God, talking about the knowledge on a uh, more than an academic level. He brings it to a personal level. And he says, Oh God, wherever I am, You are with me. Look at verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, Your hand shall lead me. And Your right hand shall hold me. You hear what the psalmist is saying, what he's saying of himself, what he's saying to each of us who know this God. He's saying that, God, you hold me in your hand. God, you uphold me with your everlasting arms. What the psalmist says is that God holds us in his right hand. Now, those of us who know the children's catechism know that God is spirit God does not have a body. God does not have a left hand. He does not have a right hand. But what the psalmist is doing is he's using poetic language of God's right hand, the hand of dominance, to remind us that we, in the hand of our God, are safe and secure. You know, we think about with our children, when our children are uh, afraid. And you know, we're going into some place that's unfamiliar to them and they put on a brave face and we're walking along and we, right, we feel a little hand take hold of ours because our children know that we are present with them and we are present for them. And that's what our God tells us here. As our Father God, that He is present with us And for us, no matter where we are, no matter what predicament we find ourselves, no matter what we are facing, we want to remember, have this profound awareness through faith that our God is with us and our God is for us. Again, the psalmist points out how different we are from God. Look at verse 11. If I say... Surely the darkness will cover me, and the light about me be night. Well, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You ever been in pitch black? Uh, My family and I used to go up to uh, northern Vermont. It's called the Northeast Kingdom, pretty close to the Canadian border. Every year to this, uh, we stayed at my mother-in-law's rustic log cabin and boy i'll tell you it was dark there is no ambient light anywhere and it was so dark that it's disorienting i mean you don't know what's around you you have trouble navigating in fact even when we were on the road it's it's like the headlights have trouble cutting through the night but you see what the psalmist says what he says he says the darkness is no hindrance to god in fact Even the blackness of night is as brilliant as the brightness of day to this God who is so vastly different from us. All right, God's knowledge is not bound by time, God's knowledge is not bound by space. But there's one other way that God's knowledge is different from ours that the psalmist highlights for us. And it is this third dimension of God's knowledge that is so uh, surprising. It's so difficult for us to get our minds around because it's so different from our understanding of the way that knowledge works. And it's this. God's knowledge is not passive. God's knowledge is not passive. Alright, so God, God is eternal, so we get it that His knowledge is not bound by time. God is infinite, so we get it that His knowledge is not bound by space. But the Scriptures also tell us that God is sovereign. He rules over all that comes to pass. His knowledge governs all that comes to pass. We live in a very interesting day. It's, it's kind of fun to find resources. Uh, you know, the web is at our fingertip and all kinds of knowledge and information. And uh, there are ideas on there for recipes uh, and projects. In fact, uh, usually on um, Christmas Day, my family, we have a brunch. We had to mix it up a little bit this year. But we have a, br- we have a brunch and uh, like we'll have a, a casserole like with ham and egg and cheese and potatoes and usually we bake those things in the oven but we thought let's mix it up this year let's uh, try a crock pot casserole so I looked it up on the web and sure enough there it was it exists and we had it and and it was good and so I found that uh, crock pot casserole uh, on on the web and that so I knew about it but what had to happen for us to enjoy that meal Well, the knowledge was there. I had to take the steps to get the ingredients and to make the casserole. In other words, there's this disconnect with us between what we know and something being accomplished. But for God, this is where it boggles the mind, for God... Knowing is not separate from doing. Our knowledge is passive. We receive knowledge by what we read or hear or by experience. We'll know not to buy that thing for our kid that took 75 steps to complete. We learn, we act on what we know, but God's knowledge is active. His knowledge accomplishes things. It brings things to pass. For example, you know, Romans 8.29, a very familiar passage, it says that um, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the new Son. For those he predestined, he also called, justified, glorified, etc. Now we take that foreknowledge and we think, well, it doesn't belong in the list a little bit because that's... Uh, that is uh, something that is not active. You know, God predestines, He calls, he does, but foreknows, He just is more passive, right? But the thing is, because of God's knowledge, foreknowledge is active. It's something that God does. God does not look down the halls of history, rather, it is part of what God does. To foreknow describes God's actions his plan, his purpose, as he actively sets his love upon. All right, notice how the psalmist expresses what this looks like to help us to understand what it means for God's knowledge to accomplish something. Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works.'" My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. You see what the psalmist is saying there. He's saying that it is by God's knowledge that we are formed In our mother's wombs. It is by God's knowledge that all our days are ordained for us before one of them yet comes to be. That wall calendar we're getting ready to put up is filled in with God's plans. And we are yet to discover its days. Now, there's one thing that means for us a bunch of things, but... It means this, that what happens in our lives as our days unfold do not happen by accident. Or to put it positively, everything that happens in our lives, everything happens under the direction of God and carries his perfect purposes in it for our good and his glory. Now, you see what the psalmist has done this morning? He's, He's shown us this vast difference between God as creator and us as creative beings. How vastly different is the way that God knows from the way that we know. And now he turns to what difference that makes in our lives. What difference? Or to put it differently, how should we respond to what God has told us about himself? The psalmist lays out three responses. The first is this. We are to live in awe of this God. We are to live in awe of God. Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. You know, sometimes when things happen to us, uh, we we can have a tendency to grumble and complain. In fact, we can even have a tendency to grumble and complain against God, to take Him to task, to say, Why, O Lord, or why me, O Lord? just uh, confused but you notice what the psalmist does he doesn't grumble he doesn't complain he doesn't rebel against god in fact the psalmist is not even threatened or resentful that he is out of the loop of god's knowledge instead what does the psalmist do he rejoices in his position he accepts it And not just in the sense of resigning himself to being out of the loop, but he embraces it. He embraces that he is weak and finite and limited. He embraces the fact that he is the creature and that God is the creator. That was the case with Job. Remember, Job... um, He had all these kinds of things happening to him, just one wave after the other, knocking him down. And he didn't know what was going on. We know more about what was going on than Job did. So what Job wanted to do was this. He wanted to call God to account. He said, let God appear before me and let he answer for himself. What is going on? Finally, when God did appear, what did God do? Did God say, well, let let me tell you, Job, all the reasons I've been doing this. What did God do? He opened his glory to Job. He described how he is the creator. He is God. And as he did, you could see Job just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until Job declared this. I know that you can do all things. That no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Job says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. Where have we heard that language before? Which I did not know. So when the psalmist here in verses 17 and 18 has this response, To God, what He's saying is this: He's saying every day, when I wake up, I see it as another day to walk with You, to trust You, to know that You, O God, are with me, and that Your plan directs me. That's what 2023 holds. Day by day, waking to commune with him who neither slumbers nor sleeps, walking with him. We are to live in awe of God. The second response we are to be zealous for the glory of God. We're to be zealous for the glory of God. Verse 19 Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, where does that come from? Here, the psalmist is given a nice little explanation about God's knowledge, and all of a sudden, he starts ranting and raving About the wicked. What's going on? Let's think about this for a second. Imagine someone that you admire. And that you love. And that you respect. And here comes someone who starts bad-mouthing them. And criticizing them. And saying things that that you know are not true. That would get your dander up, wouldn't it? Here the psalmist has been Uh, wide-eyed wide-eyed with the glory of this god in whom he has entered into relationship with and he sees the wicked who are blaspheming and reviling and ascribing evil to god and the psalmist is worked up he is jealous for god's glory you know we encounter that today don't we in our society where people reject God and blaspheme Him and say all kinds of things as they speak without knowledge. And for us, as believers, in being salt and light, we want to converse and we want to speak to them of the glory of God. We want to speak the truth in love. We want to speak biblically into their lives in the manner Scripture teaches with gentleness and respect. With patience and careful instruction. But there's another sense in which what the psalmist is saying here finds particular application in this. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, our enemy is spiritual. And so when we enter into situations in our lives where we struggle or where we are confused, where it seems that God is distant, and our enemy, the devil, whispers and taunts us saying, God is not good. Or maybe God is not able. Or maybe God does not know. Or maybe there is no God. But we are to be zealous for the glory of God. And the third of these responses to the knowledge of God, we are to grow in the knowledge of God. We are to grow in our knowledge of God. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, in one sense, this is kind of an unexpected prayer. Isn't it? Because what it was the psalmist done? He's just gone on and on about how there is nothing unknown to God, how God knows everything. God does not discover. Not, not God's knowledge is not bound by time. Not, God knows everything. And now here, what does he do? He asks God to search him and know him. Didn't he begin the psalm by saying, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me"? Why this prayer? Why would he ask God to search him as though God could discover anything? Here's the reason the benefit of the search is not for God, the benefit of the search is for the psalmist. Why? Because we can deceive ourselves, we can excuse our sin. You know those things that the psalmist said? He got him all riled up when he saw the wicked we can see those very things in our own heart as well. As we turn from our God and to go our own way. And so, we want no barrier in our lives to our fellowship with God. So what do we do? We pray, search me, O God. In essence, the psalmist is saying this, Lord, I am prone to wander. Prone to leave You, the God I love. The God who set Your love upon me as a sinner. The God who sent Your Son to deliver me by Your Son, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Show me my sin. Show me my sinfulness that I am blind to. Expose any resistance to You in my heart. Any rebellion, Heavenly Father, searcher of hearts, deliver me from my waywardness and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, ultimately, this prayer is for what? It's for a closer walk with God. Let me ask you, Christian. How would you explain eternal life to a friend who asks you? How would you... How would you do that? You know, Jesus answered that. Jesus explained eternal life. Here's what he said. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, that's the goal of the prayer. Intimate fellowship with the Father. And with the sun, you wrap things up here. When I preached through James last summer, you might recall I used uh, uh, my. We had our kitchen renovated uh, last year, and uh, I used that as an illustration a couple times. When we had our unrenovated kitchen, uh, we kept it clean. Um, we kept uh, uh, the floors mopped and the counters wiped and. We swept up the crumbs the dog didn't get to. But when it came time for the demolition of the old kitchen to make way for the new, what the workers did was they took our refrigerator and they pulled it out from the wall. And there was so much dirt and grime, I thought they are going to have to pause it for an archaeological dig. But you see, that's a picture of our lives. Each of us is aware of our sin, at least to some degree. We know the ways that we have turned our back on God to pursue and follow after idols. We know the impure things that we have cherished in our hearts. We know the unkind things that we have said to our parents or to our kids or to others. And... Part of our daily walk is we confess those things as we gather in worship each week. We spend time in confession of sin. But we know that if all this sin that we confess, the things that we're aware of were assembled before us, all that were swept together, it would be towering. Towering in our guilt before God. Towering in our transgression of sin and dirt and grime before God. And it stands before us and then the refrigerator is pulled out before the judgment seat of God. And what the psalmist wants you to know this morning is that all of that sin piled up and behind the fridge is already known by God and has been accounted for. Sin that we know. Sin that we've forgotten about. Sin that we excuse or minimize. Sin yet to be committed by us. All of that sin has been taken into account. And it has been nailed to the cross. Your sin, not in part, but the whole. And you, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, you bear that sin no more. There will be no surprises. That is the good news of great joy that we just celebrated this Christmas season for all who trust in Jesus Christ, God's provision of sin for sin. May 2023 be a year where each of you, each of us, each of us known by God grows in the grace in the knowledge of our great and glorious God. Let's pray. Search us, O God, and know our heart. Try us and know our inmost thoughts. And expose to us if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.